Hello, welcome to Utopia. Stephen Chicken joined down the line as usual by David Hartrick. How are you doing, Dave? Not bad at all, mate. How are you? Good, going all uh, morning radio DJ. Uh, you were great, there. mate. <laughs> all right, nicely. Okay, we've got two games to cover, so where do we want to start? We should probably go in the order that time goes and cover the Barnsley game first, shouldn't we? Uh, what did you think of that on Boxing Day? Uh, I thought it was bad town. Um, I think we had, not to leap ahead, but we had good town last night in lots of respects. The Barnsley game was bad town, you know, lots of possession, not doing much with it. Quite a lot of sideways passing instead of, of being able to do anything creative with it. And uh, two two bad goals to concede, but one was a really, really bad goal to concede in truth. Um, the defending on the, the winner was, was not good. But we probably need to talk about the first goal as well and <laughs> somebody's actions within it. But yeah, no, it was... Uh, it was it was a funny performance because Town started all right and then did what they've done a lot, which is start all right and then trail off quite severely. But it, this time it it cost them. You know, this time they got caught cold. Yeah, I mean it's something you've talked about a lot, and I credited it, you with it in the the five conclusions as well. Just that that inability to kill off games. Um, we said it was going to come back to to bite Town at a certain point. Uh, we said it after the Watford game, in fact, and then straight away they go to Barnes, they go one nil up and then can't find a second despite even though they're only in the lead for eight minutes they actually had a couple of presentable chances at one nil uh and and didn't make, make the most of them and and we saw it almost cost them against against Blackburn as well um what what do you put that down to is it is it too simplistic at this point to say it's a mentality thing what what what's what's it about I but I, I don't think that is simplistic I I think I think there is an element of that. I think you've got there are still individuals in this team who have been through so much in the last couple of years that sort of adjusting to trying to be on top in a game and 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 trying to make a game about for for a long time there were players in this team that the games weren't about what Huddersfield Town were doing. It was all about how the opposition had set up and what the opposition could do. And now getting on the front foot and controlling a game is a completely different skill set. Um, it's something even you know the likes of Jurgen Klopp has talked about when he went into Liverpool. And I, I think, uh, I, I, like we've talked about the squad to death and the sort of perceived lack of squad depth and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I, I think you've still got to remember that it, it's quite easy to sort of get fooled and think that. Huddersfield Town are sort of further down the line with Carlos Corbran than they are. This this is still, I think we're sort of just past the start really of the mm-hmm. of the project of the turnaround. Particularly bearing in mind we're about to go into his first real transfer window because I think in the summer it wasn't really Corbran's transfer window. Even though he was in and at the club, it was more a case of he needed to get on the training ground and get players playing the way he wanted and assess the options he actually had. Now he's had time to assess. He needs to work with that recruitment team and, and tell him what he wants, what you know, what he wants and what he feels takes him forward. But it, I think when you say it's too simplistic, I think that that. I almost think it's the simplistic things that Town are, are working on, if I'm honest. The, the mm-hmm. sort of more complicated aspects of the system and the way they want to play, they seem to be getting to grips with. But it, it, it is the basics. And it is because, you know, you have footballing PTSD in one or two of these players and it takes time to takes time to sort of get past that and get over that and, and adapt to the fact that, hang on a sec, we should be able to win this 3-0 instead of clinging up, feeling like they, they need to cling on to a one nil or a two one. Yeah, and I will skip a little bit ahead to, to the Blackburn game at this stage because again they went one nil up in that game and they kept creating chances and they'd had chances before um, Naby Sar's goal as well. That they, they made a tactical switch towards the end of the first half, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, um, and were creating chances before and after the first goal and just couldn't put them away. And I, I noted in the the five conclusions 
Um, just there's been a bit of a pattern this season of Town doing really good work, really nice interplay, getting the ball into the box or to the byline, and then just that final ball. Just for whatever reason, the players who were running onto it, which uh, against Blackburn was mostly uh, Bakuna and, and Campbell, just aren't quite on the same wavelength as the player putting in the cross. You know, we, we've we've only seen one goal from from six yards um, or closer out of town this season, and that was in the Barnsley game. That was Romani Edmonds Green getting his first goal for the club um, off a corner ball. So they've not scored one from six yards in open play, and that's you know it's not a problem as and of itself. Um, Manchester City have only scored one goal from the six yard box this season just give the answer for that trivia group Dave um but um but it's not like they're not trying to create those goals uh, and try to create those tappings for themselves and for whatever reason they're just not converting them and I think that is the kind of thing you're talking about isn't it because they're doing that that good work which suggests to get up the pitch and get into those positions which suggests that the the system is working and things are starting to come together in the build-up phase but then just the little basics um, at, at either end here and there are letting them down occasionally um, and, and that was one against Blackburn in attack um, and and it was also and against Barnsley those mistakes were more in defence the, the basics are sometimes the hardest things to master that's, that's the reality and a lot of those things are uh, sort of so dependent on mentality but I think on the, the striking thing and the goals inside the six yard box I think the problem is you You've just got different types of strikers, and at the moment, Town have Fraser Campbell, who is a worker. He's a pressing striker, um, to use a football manager term. Um, he he wants to chase down defenders and you know Harry and and he wants to be a nuisance all game. But he's not necessarily like a sort of six yard box poacher. You know, he's not a Jordan Rhodes who basically just wants to be fed. He doesn't want to do any other work. He just wants to get the ball eight yards out with the goal at his mercy they've also got Danny Ward and Danny Ward isn't really a poacher either um you know he he could be he could develop that way once he's fully fit but he's not really a poacher either so there's a slight dilemma there in terms of do town keep trying that and keep trying to attract that way um knowing that the strikers they have aren't really sort of not equipped is the wrong word but that's not their natural game you know it is that an area they look to recruit in the summer maybe and try and get that sort of model when there may be a, a decent poacher out there out of contract i think as strikers you need to have a couple of different types at the club and i i think danny ward and Fraser campbell are semi cut from the same cloth really um you know there are obvious differences between the way they play but they they're both they're not that model of striker so it'll be interesting to see what town go for in that position really in the summer because I don't as much as people sort of keep screaming buy a striker buy a striker I'm just not sure they will recruit one in the in the January window no I think especially because Danny Grant can play across the front three I think it I think it does depend what they do winger wise but I mean you look at again we've, we've talked about this to death but you look at the fact that they've played Lewis O'Brien Janino Bakuna on the left wing in recent games Adama Diakabi had a foot injury as well for the for the Blackburn game um, so the only fit winger they had at the club um, or fit senior wing with any experience was, was Isaac and Benza um, at, at the Blackburn game so that that's not good they, they probably need to sign uh, at least two wingers um, sorry or at least one on top of, of Danny Grant and preferably two to be perfectly honest um, but um, but yeah I, I, I agree with you and, and you know it's a it's a debate that has become a bit of a joke at this point, and every time there's sort of a Campbell miss, I'll get something on my Twitter or on my um, on my WhatsApp saying, "Oh, need a striker, don't we, Steve?" It's like, yeah, all right, <laughs> let it lie. But I, I have sort of come to I think the last couple of games in particular, while and and we, I sort of saw this coming as well because I said as soon as Karim got injured, I was I was saying I think it might be time for Danny Ward rather than Fraser Campbell, and I think especially sort of in the second half of games, if you're one nil up, there is a strong argument for putting on a striker who is the type you just say the Jordan Road type who is literally just mm. there to finish moves uh, on the counter-attack um, and that's not to do down Fraser Campbell's contribution you know everyone knows I'm a, a big big booster of his and what he gives you off the ball is so important and, and his link-up play you're his play. biggest fan aren't you <laughs> yeah and his link-up play 
against Blackburn. Some of it was was excellent as well. But he, uh, yeah, we've just we've not seen many goals where Fraser Campbell has got loose in the penalty box and and poked home a tapping. Is the thing? It's it's the same thing. Town have always struggled with, which is to create high xG chances and high xG chances. Just again, I know we've talked about it to death, but it is quite as simple as you know that that free shot down the middle like you say the ball across the six yard box that's tapped in the free header etc these things don't always happen because there are defensive mistakes you have to create the opportunities and I think I think Campbell's a willing runner and he does a brilliant job at the job he can do um but yeah I think one of town's big problems is they don't have enough variety and I know we've joked around before and said well Corbrand comes from a the Bielsa school so if plan A is not working you do plan A better but I think there's obvious evidence that that I think Corbrand is a lot more adaptable than that you know we've seen him play around with various formations and moving players around etc so he's not quite he's not a Bielsa acolyte in that he is so set in his ways and so transfixed by his own <laughs> by his own system or anything like that but yeah, it, it's. I think Towns recruitment is not. It, it's not necessarily that they've got to get better players. They've got to get. It's more about getting players who just offer different things. Yeah. Um, and if you get a team who can set up like Barnsley did and sort of defend fairly adequately, um, you know, it was interesting that Barnsley went back to a system where even though they're they're the home side, they're effectively playing as the away side. You know, they're effectively giving Town the position and trying to hit them on the counter. I think Town had something like. 56, 57% possession, something like that. But Taylor's old as time. I think Barnsley had more shots, more clear-cut chances, higher XG. And it was, as I said, that was it was a little bit of a return to the old town. And I think there's probably reasons for it. But it was important to then go and get a result against Blackburn. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think it was clear that, that Barnsley were playing to create those set-piece situations as often as they could. Mm. They are looking to draw fouls, win throw-ins, uh, knowing that they had that long throw as a weapon and uh and, and force corners as well and they i mean that first goal we touched on it earlier um it, it's a corner ball that comes in and it's a uh, this is the the barnsley game this is sorry the first goal that town conceded the corner comes in and um it goes across the the far post and it's headed back across the box i think it's woodrow puts it back in um towards goal and ryan schofield's under it and and to be fair I think Schofield can do better with this, regardless of of what happens next. Um, but he's under the ball; he's he's waiting for it to drop. Um, and you've got Naby Sarr and Romani Edmonds Green behind Ryan Schofield, and Edmonds Green is is watching the ball, uh, and he's also got a, a marker next to him. So he's. I think Edmonds Green probably should be giving Schofield the space there, to be honest, to get up and 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 punch. Um, so that there's a, a little bit of a, an error there. However, <laughs> it's huh. not helped by the fact that, that Naby Sarr then comes in behind him and pushes him in the back right into Schofield as the ball's looping up and causes Schofield to, to lose the punch and lose his aerial advantage. And Barnsley put it back towards goal and, and it ends up going in off basically off a, a deflection. It was a really, really odd moment. Yeah. I mean, Naby Sarr, we've talked about him sort of bit feeling like a completely different game from one game to the next. And that was... It was a real moment that it was like a proper... I hate to use the word brain fart, but it, it really was because mm. it wasn't even like he was sort of trying to get leverage himself to get up and head the ball clear. It was just a it was just an odd moment. Uh, Corley Woodrow, by the way, drop him into this town team and what a difference he would make, by the way. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, I think every time we've we've come up against him, he's, he's looked good. He's, uh, yeah, he is that kind oh, of goal scorer we've been talking about. He, do, he, he does everything Fraser Campbell does, but he's also, I, I would argue, more of a, a goal threat just because he he puts himself into those positions he's he's uh yeah I really like him and I you know if you put him in that in the front of that three at town he would make a huge difference but then the second goal I think is equally as disappointing because you've got four men four defenders around the initial throw competing for the for the ball and there's two Barnsley players and both of them are essentially free and get the you know win the header and that leads to to the chance for the goal and it was 
I, I would guess as a manager, that's a goal you're absolutely tearing your hair out, aren't you? Yeah, and, and he was, to be honest. Um, and, and he admitted after the, you know, he was, <laughs> Carlos in his post-match presser, every, everything you asked him, pretty much he would bring it back to, uh, you know, but we can't concede goals like that late on. You know, you, you could have asked him if he had a nice Christmas and he would have said yes, but we can't concede goals like that late on. Um, so, Don't prove uh, that in the workplace. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He didn't approve of that in the workplace. And he said after the Blackburn game, he said, you know, to be honest, actually, the Barnsley game did did hurt quite a lot um, because because of the nature of it. And I, I think it, he's spot on as well when he says that they had actually from open play, they defended absolutely fine. Um, there, there wasn't too much that, that Barnsley did to, to, you know, force them into any errors or anything like that. It was just those two set pieces and, and obviously one of them when there's only 10 seconds left on the clock as well. Um, yeah. and, and the other thing he pointed out was just that they had the opportunity before they gave away the throw in from which Barnsley scored. They had had the opportunity of just punting it up the other end and, and you know, chasing it and just seeing out the last 10 seconds and they didn't take it. And I think that that game management, I mean, we talked about that after the Nottingham Forest game, um, the, the mm. fact that their game management looked a bit sus. And again, it's one of those those small details, isn't it, that, that well, ideally it, needs work. The, I, I think the reason I think the reason Corbyn will have been so frustrated with that Barnsley game, even before conceding that last, last minute equaliser, was Town go 1-0 up and then they, they basically watched Barnsley dig a pit, put a net over the top of it, cover it with leaves, and then Town went, do you know what, we're going to walk across that anyway. And were then surprised when they fell into a great big pit. You know, it, it was... It was bad. It was bad town. There was a lot. It, watching that performance, there was sort of a lot of echoes of performances and managers past. If I'm brutally honest, and it was like, oh, this is this is not great. Which is why, as I said, they had to turn it around against Blackburn because mentally they needed to to see the other side and to you know the the things they were working on and doing were going to come to some sort of fruition, which. Is why I thought it was interesting he picked the same eleven. Um, I have a feeling they probably got absolutely blasted after that Barnsley game by Corbyn, and I think he was hoping to see a reaction, and I think he did get a reaction. To be fair, yeah, fourth game in a row that they've they've kept the the same eleven um, or played the same eleven. Fourth game in a row where you kept the same eleven is. Slightly different, I think you'll find, actually, David. Um, <laughs> Don't approve of that in the workplace. <laughs> but uh, no, he's he's kept the same eleven and and made tweaks within it. And someone mm. asked me last night when was the last time they played same eleven four games in a row because I'd looked up the stat for three and it's going to take me ages to look up four. Basically, uh, I had to get my my Rothmans out that you can see behind me there, Dave. That was the best way I had of finding it, and I'm not I'm not going through that again. Yeah, I know. Well, I don't think it's worth it for the start. It's been and gone now, to be honest. But but um, no, he's he's kept the same eleven, and he's uh, uh, but he's made tweaks within it, and he's made tweaks within games as well. To be fair, which is mm. is something that that I know you before have been a bit disappointed not to see more of out of of Carlos Gorbran is making those adjustments within games, but mm. against both both Barnsley and Blackburn, he did make those tweaks either just before or at the break just to to move it and I think both cases it was a move from sort of a 4-2-3-1 to a 4-3-3 um, mm. and huh. he should we have this argument <laughs> I don't know if it's well we can do if you want we we did argue during the first half against Blackburn um, you were there saying was, it was uh, that first half an hour if you look at the heat maps and you could see I mean you could see them continually line up in a 4-4-2 and I think it may it may have been not a 4-4-2 by design but you had backer basically playing as a second striker he wasn't playing as a 10 I mean he was ahead of Campbell most of the time um and you had a and Benzer was was basically man to man on Bell the fullback and I think it was a it looked like a 4-4-2 because basically the system was designed to shut down on the left side to shut down Blackburn on the right side to have Mbenza pin Bell back and to basically try and create a channel for Pippa to get space that seemed to be the game plan and shortly before half time they sort of reverted to a 4-3-3 but I thought it was quite interesting because if it wasn't a 4-4-2 by design it ended up being a 4-4-2 for about the first half an hour and I didn't think it was too bad to be honest with you I thought the the where they were applying pressure was was pretty good and but for a couple of bad finishes I mean 
that shot from Pippa where he cut inside and, you know, it, basically the whole system was designed to get him into that position and he got into that position and fluffed his lines was a bit disappointing, really. Yeah, the, the debate we had, I was saying, is that a five because Mbenza was coming so deep uh, and Pippa was, was pushing in so narrow that mm. it, it almost looked like a 5-3-2 at times. But I asked Carlos after the game and he said it was a four. So you win this round, hard trick. Yes! Um, <laughs> he said it was exactly what you just said. It was just because their fullback was going so high and Benza was was tracking him but I I I think as well though that that putting Pippa a bit narrow was probably a response to the pace that that Adam Armstrong has and Mm. you can't let him get in behind was basically the the scouting report I got from a colleague covering Blackburn and to be fair they did a good job of that yeah they left him on screen as the deeper defender Mm. time and time again because of his his extra pace and I I mean it's a cliche but I thought he was really good again he doesn't thing is he's not a he's not a spectacular defender he's not a last ditch sliding challenge from six feet away defender because he often doesn't need to be because he's he's got great recovery pace he's got he knows where to be he knows where to position himself and there was a couple of times where Blackburn were trying that ball over the top and Armstrong were getting frustrated because Edmunds Green always had three yards on him because he knew when to just drop that little bit deeper to give himself the head start to get it and I thought it was a it was another very neat and tidy performance yeah and they they made this the switch to to 433 uh, they had Lewis Abraham Brian, who started so against Barnsley, O'Brien had started in midfield, and I think Bakuna was nominally the left winger, and he swapped them round um, at, at, around half time, and then for the and then he basically kept kept it that way round against Blackburn. So against Blackburn, it was four four two off the ball, four two three one ish. Uh, on the ball and he had he dropped Iting back into the the midfield two alongside Hogg and had Bakuna as the 10 and an O'Brien on the wing and then after they switched it round Bakuna came back as a as a more of a central midfielder and O'Brien pushed on and into the much more of a a front three role Mm. and as I wrote in the conclusions I can see the logic in that I think there is merit in that given that they don't have another winger basically to go in and fill the Josh Caroma role Mm. you still want to keep that relationship between O'Brien and Toffolo um, and because they've had so much joy out of that over the last sort of 12 months or so with O'Brien playing as a left-sided central midfielder so if you want to replicate that relationship I can understand the logic and going okay well let's get them doing it in the final third by putting O'Brien higher up and we just replace the midfielder instead who who sort of plays inside them and helps them play the, the balls between each other and, and acts as that extra that third point of focus in the triangle um, what what did you what did you think of O'Brien on the wing? Um, I think it's definitely an experiment to continue with while the, 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 they're sort or struggling for personnel like they are I think the slight problem you've got is if you look at the right you've got Mbenza who has become really quite an unselfish player because he he knows part of his role is to get the best out of Pippa so like we say not to repeat myself but he was trying to he was pinned on Bell going forward and coming back to try and create that channel of space for, for Pippa to run into but Mbenza was also dropping in when Brereton was was pulling away and pulling into the wing he was also getting back and and doubling up he was it was a really as I said I thought it was a really good performance from Benza in that he was just so unselfish and he worked he absolutely worked his socks off on the other side what you have is that Toffolo's natural game the reason that sort of Toffolo's not making the making the burst forward and finding himself in spaces as much is I think that what O'Brien tends to do because he's not a natural winger is he either pulls very very wide so Toffolo hasn't got that space to run into and if he comes inside it's a gamble because he knows he's leaving a gap behind him or O'Brien tends to come very very central so then Toffolo can't come inside because basically he's got the whole of the left wing to himself so they've not quite got that same sort of relationship yet because ultimately it's not O'Brien's position but I think what you can see is there's an understanding there and just so little with O'Brien there and his work rate and his speed so little of danger comes from that side you know when he plays there when you have Toff as his as his backup essentially you just don't get problems down that side it's just mm. very a very very secure part of the team so it's a slight trade-off in that I think you lose some of what Toff gives you attacking wise but you were you were just 
pretty safe and secure over there. What you do get from Tuffalo is he concentrates a bit more on his defensive abilities and you get a couple of tackles like you did in the first half last mm-hmm. night where he was he was he basically he was the difference between town going in at half time potentially 2-0 down. So mm. yeah, I, I it's definitely a worth pursuing. I don't like Bakuna out on that left side. I, yeah. I and I don't think he likes it either. <laughs> if I'm brutally honest with you, he he seems to labour over there. I don't really like him as a ten, but I do. I, I thought Bakuna was quite good, basically playing as a striker with Campbell because sometimes you do want a two to try and pin at least one of the centre backs back to create space for midfielders to run in. And if you have O'Brien up there, who has a propensity to come through the middle even though he's normally playing on the left again I think that's uh potentially that's an experiment worth continuing with yeah we, we should touch on Janino Bakuna as well because I don't think we've we've had a chance to talk about it on the podcast um but certainly he, not in praise terms <laughs> no exactly he, he's been much better the last four games or so uh much much better and I, I put that to Carlos Corbran after the Barnsley game, and he said it's not just a subjective thing. He said you look at the GPS uh, stats that they wear the, the GPS vests, as, as many of you will know, that that track how much running they're doing, what speed they're going at, everything like that, how intensely they're running. And he said Bakuna's stats over the last, well, then three games, and I imagine now four, uh, have, have gone up massively. His, his values have hugely increased, which, as he said, it, it doesn't tell you that a player's playing well, but it tells you how much effort they're putting in how much sacrifice they're making and and it passes the eye test as well to be fair because mm. I thought especially against Barnsley Bakuna was was really busy it was very aggressive uh, against the ball which was good to see he was uh, notably strong um, he, he sometimes Bakuna is too easy to get past um, but he, he was get, he, he has a tendency to mentally give up doesn't he on, on yeah. certain situations and there was a notable lack of that against Blackburn yeah and against Barnsley as well to be fair to him and he's just he's looked a lot better and he's still not you know obviously he's, he's not been putting in eight out of ten performances but he's been putting in sixes and sevens and and that's good to see because I, I don't think he'd got to that <laughs> to that level where he was putting those in he was he was consistently putting in sort of fours and fives before and I think if he keeps up that level of effort then inevitably you are going to start seeing those eight out of ten performances out of him again mm. and I think he quite liked that role last night because as I said he was if he was playing as a 10, he ignored that and was basically playing as a second striker. And I think he quite enjoys pushing on. And he, he was unlucky. There was that situation where second half where O'Brien, great run down the left, um, looked up and thought Backer was going to be in that striker position in the six-yard box, you know, two yards from the line. But just Backer's natural instincts had told him just to hang back slightly for the... He thought it was going to be a cutback. And uh, yeah, he was he was unlucky, but... He's still got a long way to go. He's not. Let's let's be honest. He still. I think he he still owes Town a little bit at this point. Um, but it's good to see that he he seems to be engaged again. To be frank, engaged and and trying again. And I don't know with Bakuna. I think it is a mentality thing. I think he yes. is a player that is is definitely needs an arm around him and and needs some individual management. And uh, yeah, it seems to be paying off. But I think another word for Hog as well, who I think is just quietly metronomically really really good and yes. it's again a bit like Edmunds Green he doesn't do necessarily the really flashy stuff he's not pinging 40 yard balls around or he's not doing those crazy you know sliding challenges although he did have one moment last night when he should have got booked <laughs> to be fair yes um but he's just he's become such an important player he, he doesn't just split the centre-backs anymore he is is basically the first point of attack he's always the launching pad um, and I think yeah I just think he's quietly just having a, a brilliant season yeah he is uh, we talked a lot about you know Carrie Toffolo being in head and shoulders player of the season form earlier this year and I think I think Hulk has, has worked his way into that conversation mm. um, I think he's been consistently sevens and eights which is uh, really, really impressive stuff. You know, when when you when you get into that level on with such regularity, and you know, some my a, 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 my counterpart who covers Barnsley um, for the local paper over there was asked me to do a piece before that game, saying, you know, what are the what's the predicted lineup? How town been? Who's the key player? And I couldn't look past Jonathan Hogg for the key player. Perfectly mm. honest, um, just the form that he's been in and and the influence he has on the side at, at both ends. 
And he almost uh, set up a goal for Fraser Campbell um, mm. at one nil. You know, within about a minute of, of of the first goal of going ahead against Barnsley, he, he put a brilliant pass down the middle um, for Campbell, and, and Campbell probably should have scored from there. That again, that's where you, you want your poacher on the pitch, um, which is sounds like a good pitch for a, uh, a CBBC show actually, poacher on the pitch. But um, really? <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe not actually. Now that yeah. I think about it, um, yeah. but no, he. Um, I think that's the thing with Hogg that that sort of has caught my eye is I would have always said Jonathan Hogg was a uh, a bit of a crab midfielder, you know, uh, and that's crab with a B. Um, in that he he'll do a lot of square balls and and passes to the the centre backs and and little sort of ten yarders. We've seen him putting some beautiful passes out to the wings. Um, his his distribution out to the flanks for for Mbenza, um and for Toflo has has been absolutely exemplary at times. He's he's played some wonderful passes out there. It's I, uh, a different yeah, string to his bat. This is pure conjecture. I don't. I have no no basis to know if this is actually true. But having watched Jonathan Hogg for a long time, I think what they've worked on is his body shape when he receives the ball, because now he tends to take it on the half turn constantly. So that what that does is. It, it just opens up the pitch for him so he can see where players are so he can actually pass it forward whereas before certainly last season and the season before he was nearly always taking the ball with his with his back to to goal basically so it was it was often going sideways by necessity because he couldn't see you know all he had was left right or back that's literally all he had and it just feels like they've really worked with him on the training ground to open up his body as he receives that ball so that he's he's literally just looking forward more so it, it's it sounds so simple but it's not easy to do in that position because obviously there's an element with risk with the, with that because you're turning into the space that you don't know if there's you're relying on people to tell you if there's somebody thundering in to take the ball off you etc so but he just he seems to take that ball on the half turn now nearly every single time and I'm I'm sure that's not coincidence I'm sure they've they've worked on his body shape with him um but yeah I I think Iting is is the one that really needs to sort of come to the party a bit more now because we know he's got more than we've seen in the last couple of games and I think he 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 looks a bit tired to me he looks like yeah. a, you know first run of games in the championship is is just telling on him a little bit but if he has a couple of games off, which is, I would say he might get the Plymouth game off, but he's probably <laughs> going to have to play Saturday. Um, he needs to just sort of re- re- regroup, really, because um, he he looked, he had that spell of three games where he looked absolutely the Ajax football manager wonder kid, didn't he? And mm. he's just slightly starting to struggle a little bit. But I do think it's the legs. He's he's a young player who's not played a huge amount of football consistently, so that will happen. Yeah, exactly what I was going to say. I think this is the the biggest run of senior games he's, he's ever had in his career. Um and it's it's worth remembering he's, you know, he, he missed a huge huge amount of football with that injury he had um over the last couple of years. He, you know, he was out for pretty much a whole calendar year. Um I think from from end of 2018 through to the end of 2019. So he, he, it is. I think this was to be expected when they signed him. To be honest, at a certain point, the games would catch up to him just because his body's not not quite as used to it as as some of the other players uh, in the squad. Um, but yeah, I I, th- I think he's he's sort of regressed back a little bit to the player that he was when they first signed him, where he, he needs a little bit, just not long, but like a quarter of a second, half a second longer to think about what he's doing and execute it than he's ever going to get in the championship. Mm. Uh, and he did find that sharpness, as you say, for sort of a three or five game spell. Um, and he's, he's just sort of lost it a little bit. He's, he's become a little bit loose. He was he was a bit better against Blackburn. Um, but the, the sort of the three games before that, he was, he was not at his best, it's fair to say. Um, so yeah, they'll they'll want more out of him. I I think though, as you say, they you'd say they they're going to need him for Saturday, and I think that is we've had a lot of sort of of criticisms of of the team. I think a lot of these things are sort of little little tweaks, little um, small gripes that that you can work out on the training ground, which is a not a, a an area where Town have had a lot of time. I think where you, where you do have a major issue though, uh, for me, is just. 
the fact that you've got, and we touched on it with the striker thing, just that you've got what feels like a big quality gap between the first 11 and the bench at the moment. Um, mm. And we know that there's players on there that have done a job in the past. And, and there's a few players there who, if someone got an injury and, and they had to step in, uh, Jaden Brown, say, or uh, D'Amico Dehaney, you'd have no worries about them. But it's when you're 1-0 up and you need to change a game and you've got a player like Iting who who looks tired and looks like he needs a rest and it's like well the probably the next player to replace him would be Alex Pritchard who has been fit for a while now and hasn't got many minutes you, you do wonder if after that a few players got a chance against Bournemouth whether Gorbrand just maybe just doesn't trust those players anymore yeah there may be something in that um, but I think it's time I think we need to talk about Gary Lineker or Alan Shearsar or town's new emergency striker, Luis Sarres. Mm, sort of works. <laughs> Luis Saha. Luis Saha actually does. There we go. That'll do. That'll do. Yeah, yeah. He nabbed one at the death. Nice. Uh, <laughs> thank you. It's uh, it's it's state. See, it's not just uh, it's not just you that can do Nabi Sar puns. Andy takes that chance. We can pull out six of them. Come at us again. Um, and we don't need a song. <laughs> Um, but um, uh, yeah, he'd, he'd stayed up for for a corner, hadn't he? Um, and then Town had got a throw in off the back of that, and uh, and sort of Blackburn got it half clear, and and Pippa got on the ball in a central area, and Saar was still up, and brilliant, brilliant pass by Pippa, by the way, wonderful ball yeah, over the top. It was, it was, it was. That's one of those goals from a Blackburn perspective where everybody's looking at each other going, I thought you were picking him up. Yeah. <laughs> and he just basically strolled into position. The first goal was a good header, but I thought what was interesting there was Campbell's run where he peeled to the back post and then came back towards the penalty spot. And I think that took a couple of a Blackburn player's eyes off the ball and Saar ended up basically having a free header but the second goal was very Rio Ferdinand against Liverpool wasn't it? It was like one Don't touch control and then sweeping it into the sweeping it into the corner. But I like we've been told that that's what Nabisar likes to do. He does like to get forward. He does like to get into those positions now and then. A bit of a Gerard Piquet who mm. always fancies himself to get double figures for the season. So yeah, it it was good. It was good when you've got a bit of an agent of chaos like that on the pitch who sort of bucks all the opposition's plans and trends, and nobody's picking him up. It's it's a risk, but you know we have sat here and preached the gospel that Huddersfield Town desperately need to take more risks. So. So yeah, long may it continue. Bit more of that, please. Yeah, just needs to stop being an agent of chaos at, in his own penalty box. Yeah, but that you see, that's it. We've had two sides of the same kind in, yeah. in a week, haven't we? He, he, the the push on Edmonds Green in Schofield was just bizarre against Barnsley, and he was one of the players who was completely out for for the throwing in the last minute as well. Mm-hmm. And then he comes on, and I thought I thought he was I thought he was pretty good anyway. But obviously, yes. he scores two goals and you know walks away walks off into the sunset with a bottle of champagne for man of the match doesn't he he does yeah no it's uh it, it was it was lovely to see to be fair and i think matt glennon has sort of nailed it when he said you know if if nabi Sar wasn't um committing those kinds of blunders on sort of a semi-regular basis he, he would would have been playing a lot higher than he has been in his career this is why he's been at this sort of championship and, and league one level so far um that that's that's the main thing that's held him back so i think there is an element of I mean you obviously want the mistakes not to happen so often but I think there is an element of you take the rough with the smooth um, with, with him and you, you, you know you're going to get good performances and bad ones and you just I think it's just limiting the regularity with which those bad ones come um, I think as, he's as better with Edmunds Green just purely yeah. because Edmunds Green's got far more recovery pace than a Stearman or Schindler Definitely. so I think he just feels I think he feels slightly more confident and I think he feels more able to take those risks you know and stay up after a corner like that so I I like I know I'm a massive reg booster but I I think when you look at what he gives Sar in those sort of games I don't think anybody gets fit defensively and just walks into the that back four anymore you know I think that I think that places Edmunds Greens for the foreseeable really um you know it was it was another sort of neat and tidy performance he's becoming a very accomplished player and and sometimes it's not about like when you get a good partnership it's not necessarily about them both 
both being brilliant players. It's about them complementing each other. And I think Zara and Edmunds Green actually work pretty well together, in truth. Mm. Yeah, I'd, I'd completely agree with that. And it, it looked good on paper. We, it was something we talked about earlier in the season as well, when Schindler and and, uh, and Stearman were, were playing together. And I think, uh, or playing with Zara, I should say. And I think it's hard to make the argument that uh, as it stands when they get back that they should automatically displace Romani Edmund Green. I think he's nah. he's more than done enough to to suggest that he deserves to, to keep that place until un, until he has a, a a few bad ones. And I think he would work in a three pretty well as well. You know, if ta- if if Corbin wants to explore that again in potentially playing a three at the back, um, I think Edmund Green slots straight in there as well. So. He suddenly become quietly become quite an important player um, in in that mix up, and I think Critchlow is is a, a prospect, and he's he's good. He may be very good going forward, but I think a lot of people got a bit carried away after that Forest game. And I think when you look at the difference between Critchlow and Edmonds Green, I think you see that Edmonds Green is ready right now, and Romani probably in an ideal world he'd probably be playing in League One, wouldn't he? Yeah, exactly out on loan yeah I think there's a couple of players in in the squad like that as well and, and again that's where I think if you have the opportunity to do it in in January you maybe get in one or two others um I think I think I think maybe having a, another right back and being able to send Tomiko Dehaney out on loan would probably stand him in good stead for the future at this stage because I think him and Jaden Brown just are not going to get the minutes with with when Pippa and Toffolo are such important players and are clearly sort of so far ahead of them in the development. And I'm not having a go at, at Jaden Brown or Tomiko Dehaney at all, but it, it feels to me like both of them could benefit massively from a loan either down in the sort of the championship relegation battle or or in League One. Um, so, we'll, but we'll see what the market, what the January transfer window brings. And to be fair, the flip side of saying they're not getting minutes is that Town aren't relying on them to come and come in and, and have to play twenty games. So you know, there's there's two sides to that. But and and a quick mention as well because I didn't mention him in the uh, in the five conclusions. And and someone has, has quite rightly asked uh, Jimmy Flynn on Twitter has quite rightly asked why why I didn't give him a mention for that save uh, against Blackburn. Yeah, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a fair comment. It was uh, it was a great stop, wasn't it, from uh, from Schofield early on against Blackburn, uh, and we've seen that his his shot stopping uh, from close range is absolutely phenomenal at times. Yeah, that's that's never been the doubt about him, has it? No, he's he's always been really really good at that. Going right back to that mm. that Middlesbrough game last season, um, but both Barnsley and Blackburn did target him from crosses and set pieces mm. again, um, and he. He's doing all right. He's coming through it, but he did have a couple of moments again um, where it would be fair to say he doesn't have that confidence needed to come through a crowd of players at the moment, you know, and just take everybody out if needs be to get the ball. Um, but I think that's probably something you only really get with experience as a goalkeeper, isn't it? It's yeah, I would agree with that. It, you've got to have complete confidence to do that and also to sort of boss your back four around he's he's not a particularly vocal goalkeeper yet he doesn't you know scream and shout at his back four but again that's 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 levels of confidence but again a bit like Edmunds Green you sort of look at that and you think well I don't think anybody comes in and just takes him out of the team by virtue of them having a better reputation or being a supposedly a better player um, I think you you stick with him at the minute for the foreseeable I think every minute is on that pitch he's getting closer and closer to being a keeper that can come through a crowd of players and do the things he is a bit weaker at so yeah and and he's he's clearly the other thing I noticed last night is he's clearly a very well liked member of that squad yeah because there was there was you know every time the final whistle goes or the half time whistle goes there's always somebody with an arm around him and he's chatting and joking away and what have you and that's good good to see as well yeah I'd, I've I've I always think back to it was the preseason friendly against Montpellier um, before the start of last season and and that was the first time I'd met Ryan Schofield and straight away he made a a, a a big impression on me. I think I think he's a really impressive young lad in terms of his mm-hmm. his attitude and the way that he talks about the game and and everything like that. And obviously, you know, players are always slightly different in front of the media than they are behind closed doors. But I think it comes across what what a, a, a dedicated pro he was, and he was only nineteen at the time as well. Uh, obviously, he's you know he's, he's twenty one now, and yeah, he's uh, he's 
he's coming on and I think he's, you know, he's genuinely, you could see him playing in, as number one for Hill Town for the next 10 years if it, if everything mm. aligns for him and goes right for him. Um, and everyone likes it when you have hometown lads playing in, in the team um, and he could be the next one to do it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And there's... I just don't think it's a debate at the minute. I, I I think Hamer has been really good since the start of the season and has genuinely surprised a few people. But I think with Schofield, you're looking at the future, aren't you? And I think you have to protect your future. And the way you do that with goalkeepers and with defenders is that you have to give them minutes on the pitch and you also have to allow them to make mistakes. You know, he was slightly culpable for that first goal against Barnsley. I've absolutely no doubt at some point he will have an absolute stinker. You know, one will go under him or through his arms or something along those lines. But those are the things that happen to young goalkeepers that actually make them better longer term. Yeah, and I think there's just two more quick points that, that we should just touch on quickly. Uh, one is just that they started scoring goals from set pieces. That's three games yeah. in a row where they've got a set piece goal, and we know how much they struggled with them last season. Um, so to have got, they're already past halfway as how you know they got ten last season in the whole year. They're already on six now, having not quite played half the season yet, and they're actually the joint seventh best team in the division for scoring set piece goals now. And I'm not even sure if the own goal. Um, that uh, that Watford scored even counts towards that. So yeah, a lot that, of that. I, their delivery is so much better, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think having, it's... and Benza having discovered that sort of knuckleball to, that that really is very difficult to defend is just such a such an impressive weapon. Now, I mean, how like I'm not I'm not picking on him, but how many times last season did we watch Pritchard take a free kick and put it straight out for a goal kick or a throw in? Yeah, and it or, drove or Carl, us both mad. Or Carl and Grant putting in a, a yeah. corner that that would go out for a throw in on the far side or out for a goal kick past yeah. Steve Mounier. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, that that's one thing. Uh, Carlos Gordon also praised um, his assistant Narciss uh, for his role in that. He says he's sort of the, the mastermind the man with the laminated book um which makes him sound like he's founded argos but um he's the man putting the routines together and i think just the variety of routines they've got and every club obviously aims to have to, this isn't like unique to town or anything the idea of putting two men over the ball um for every set piece to keep the team the opposition guessing but I think you watch the goal like the one that Romani Edmund Screen got against Barnsley, where it was a, a lovely short corner routine that involved like four players in the build up before the cross even came in. And that will keep teams guessing. Um, you know, and it means that when Mbenza just puts a straight ball into uh into the penalty box and Abisar just to, to nod home, the opposition will have been a little bit on their toes because they haven't known if it was going to come straight in or if it was going to be short. And mm. the fact that Town have shown you, they can do both is, should stand them in good stead. But you've also got, as I said, I mentioned it before, there's a very interesting run from Campbell where he, he basically takes his man to the far post and then as as Sambens is winding up to, to take it, he literally draws out and he ends up almost at the penalty spot. And he's then got basically two defenders who don't know where he is or where mm. to get type and that then sows that little bit of confusion in the centre. And that's how you end up with people with free headers. So it's yeah, there is there is planning and work going into that quite clearly. The other thing just wanted to mention is that home form. Obviously, uh, they've had five wins in a row at home now. Um, excellent job opening your bottle of coke quietly, which I've just completely undone by bringing it uh, bringing it to the attention there. Um, but no, they've won five games in a row at home now, uh, which is the first time since 2016. If they can make that six. It will be the first time since 2003. Um, so no pressure on the Reading game then. <laughs> the, the thing about the Reading is they're just such an odd... Yeah. <laughs> like, they break every statistical model. They they outperform... They outperform every model that you think you've got them nailed in. They underperform in others. They're just an impossible side to, <laughs> to try and predict, as many of found out this season the one thing you don't want to do with Reading is give them too many clear chances because they're they're just they're remarkably clinical (laughs) in front of goal they don't score many but their shot conversion and chance conversion is just insane (laughs) yeah but it's just as well Town have found the form on their own turf because the away the away form to be honest has dropped off the cliff a bit they've they've only had two Mm. points from the last last six games on the road Um, but then they've only dropped 
two points from the last six at home. Um, but that so, that's going to be, you've spoke about it before, about that sort of win-lose draw three-game sequence is mm. Huddersfield Town this season. And I just think that that's, it's the way it's going to be. They're, they're not going to go down. I don't think, unless they put some mega run together and break that away cycle... I can't see them getting in a realistic place to threaten to break into the playoffs, and I'm not sure it would do them any good anyway. You know, we touched on that briefly before. I I think this season is just absolutely fine to keep on doing what they're doing, really. Yeah, I think if you were sort of start, if you said right, let's forget this season, we'll start a new one uh, tomorrow. Um, you would say actually, town could go for that if if things fall their way, they could they could go to the playoffs. But I think that just the the slightly slower start they had, and they did have a a run earlier in the season where I think they had one one win in seven something like that as uh, probably means it's it's just a bit too late now unfortunately even if even if they were to maintain I think it worked out even if they were to maintain um, sort of their current points per game rate which is one point seven per game over the last uh, last ten games um, they would not quite get into the playoffs that I think they'd finish seventh um, so I think they've and I, and I don't think they will maintain that um, just to be a bit pessimistic um, but. Um, yeah, it's uh it's it's promising though. Going into 2021, we've played the last game of the year and do you think we're up, we're seeing that upward trajectory now, Dave? We've we talked about this a lot at the start of the season and wanting to see that needle move up a bit. Are you do you feel like we're getting there? Yeah, slowly but surely. Um I think what what's become very clear is that there's going to be nothing sort of massively meteoric about turning the turning town round and we we did say at the start of the season that's what they needed they needed some easy mid-table comfortable drama-free games which is what we're getting a bit of the points return is consistent even if some of the performances aren't and ultimately like I know we both roll our eyes a bit when talking about transfers and transfer windows and how all anybody ever says to us is they need to buy a million players for every position. But I think come the summer, I think that this window is quite interesting, but I, I do feel anybody that comes in other than, you know, who they've already got, it's probably going to be a slight stopgap. And then this summer, there's going to be a really big evolution because, I, I mean, you look at the players that are out of contract and there has to be really so I I do think what all they have to do is just get through to the end of the season just get through to the end of the season finish somewhere between I don't know 10th and 16th and everybody goes yeah fine okay what does the first 11 look like on day one of the season and what does the squad look like the day after the transfer window shuts that that really is where next season's fortunes lie so yeah I'd, I'd say it's broadly fine they still have a lot of the historical problems are still there and they still have games like Blackburn where they come to the fore but I am honestly at the point where I think until until next summer when it, it will feel like a fairly big clear out I think if I'm honest um, they might retain one that we're not expecting them to but I think they're gonna sort of lose the bulk of the squad that took them certainly you know first season of the Premier League those that remain I think you know there's likely only sort of hog maybe survive um, so yeah I think they're doing I, I, I think they're doing fine and I think fine is fine <laughs> you know can't really ask for much more than that as it's as it stands yeah magic right I, th- I feel like we've got through loads today this this episode feels like a dense fruitcake of a podcast um, we're good in my opinion <laughs> so thank you for joining us as usual dave um on your free time which it's is very very good of you I, d- I don't know if people realize that but yeah dave does do all of this on his free time and and it's uh it's very good of him to join us always really enjoyed doing this with you this year dave um as usual and uh all the best for the new year yes you too my son and uh thank you for all your work over over the year and you know happy new year to all the town fans out there and thank you for all i've said it before but thank you again for all the really nice comments we get about this podcast we're very fortunate in that we get very little negative feedback you know if you want to call us idiots feel free you know let's have a bit of balance but generally speaking we we all we get is lovely feedback and it does without lurching into cliche it does make it feel worthwhile yeah big time totally agree with that and all the best to everyone listening for the new year and we'll be back at you next week after the reading game uh back on monday again as usual i would imagine uh all things being well and we'll see you next time goodbye goodbye <laughs> Who's your real
Ah,